As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we'll be picking out one article from all the brilliant writing available on The Athletic and putting the author under the spotlight. Do I look happy? Very. Do I look settled? Don't ask me silly questions then. It was crazy and it was very quick, but when you're in that situation, that's what you want to happen. The last thing you want is for it to drag out because you want to get in as quick as you can and and start working as fast as you can. Today, the wonderful Jordan Campbell, Rangers correspondent for The Athletic, is here to talk to us about Steven Gerrard, why he really swapped Rangers for Aston Villa, the package deal Villa will inherit as Gerrard's talented backroom staff follow him south, and what it's like to play for Gerrard, the manager. Yeah, exciting podcast for me this week with Villa being the focus. And that's not all, as James Pearce, the Athletic's brilliant Liverpool correspondent, will then explain the impact of sporting director Michael Edwards' decision to leave Anfield, as well as a little bit about his successor, Julian Ward, Klopp's future, and where Gerrard fits into this big picture. Yeah, plenty for us to get stuck into, so let's dive right in and welcome Jordan Campbell to the pod. Let's welcome in Jordan Campbell, who covers the reigning Scottish champions Rangers for the Athletic. And Jordan, I almost feel like I need to apologise to you before you come on. <laughs> Obviously, being, being a Villa fan, you, you covering Rangers, it's a it's been a funny old few weeks. That's it. You've stolen a big name from a patch, so um, I will we'll see if there's another big name coming in. But uh, no, it was a pretty uh, hectic week, so um, I have just about woken up for the, for the weekend uh, recovering. So um, you're lucky I've, I've made it up in time for this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm failing you, to be honest. I'm feeling pretty tired <laughs> myself this morning. I've done a lot of stuff last week on Gerard and Villa. I mean, you've done so many brilliant pieces around this story. Just to start with, when it first, well, when we knew that Dean Smith had left Aston Villa and Steven Gerrard was the favourite, did you actually think he would leave or did you think he would stay? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I was pretty decisive one way or the other. I mean, I mean, I can see, just like now, I can see the reasons why he left and I can also see the reasons why, you know, um, he might have stayed. Um, I don't think it would have been 100% straight away and you, right, that's me off. Um, but I think when he weighed it up that, you know, 
um, the attraction of aspirational Premier League club, um, working with Puzzle, who he knows well, with a squad, a, you know, a decent squad that he'll think he can hopefully take into the top half, maybe the top eight in a couple of years' time, and try and make a, a real mark in the Premier League. You can see the attraction in that, especially um, with the backdrop of Rangers, where after being given forty million over three and a half years, you know, he was he complained publicly during the season that. You know, he never had any funds the last two windows and I don't think that was really going to change. It's a, it's a difficult one because if he'd have stayed and Rangers won the league and they got into the Champions League, then that might have changed somewhat because he might have, the, the board, the finances would have given them a bit more to play with maybe. But, um, you know, that squad, there's a few players coming to either to render a contract or retiring or um, other than the last year so you know it does feel like the sort of winds of change are there in, in the squad overall so I, don't, I think he's probably weighed that up and, and, and thought that Villa is probably the best um, one of those that Gerard felt like he probably couldn't turn down if he, if he wants to use it um, if he wants to spend a few years there and hopefully then move on to Liverpool Do you think it was the opportunity of Villa that was so appealing or do you think any Premier League club obviously the the Newcastle job you said he was sort of denying anyway quite sort of clearly in interviews before this opportunity came up do you, do you think the Villa one is just much more of an exciting prospect because they have got ambition that is slightly different to Rangers at the moment in terms of spending money as well yeah I mean I don't think like Stephen Gerrard would leave a club the size of Rangers um whether it goes with for any Premier League club I think there's probably He's not going to get the top six club because he's coming from Rangers and he's definitely not going to get it. He wouldn't take it because he's the Liverpool connection. So there's only probably a few that he could ever really take because um, I don't think he's motivated by, say, he was to take an Norwich. I don't think he would have he would leave Rangers to take Norwich, for example. Mm. Um, so I think there's only a small select few um, clubs that are in that sort of range where they're not flying and they're not at the top of the league, but he probably backs himself to to make a big enough impact that it impresses um, Liverpool enough to be in the contention for being Klopp's successor. So, no, I don't think it was outright, oh, well, Premier League is better than Scotland because, you know, Rangers might not have the same money as Premier League clubs um, due to TV finances, etc. But, you know, you get a chance of winning things, being um, a hero in, in Glasgow, you know. Um, and he could have had, if he'd have stayed, he had the potential to go down as a... Um, like a really massive, massive figure. Um, I guess the will be decided in the next few years and in, in history books now when, <laughs> when when people's emotions calm down is just how big a figure he is in Rangers history because obviously coming in and um, toppling Celtic after um, you know the third attempt is is a massive achievement and people can say oh well he never won any more cups it was one out of nine but let's be honest if he'd have won the six domestic cups and never won the league it would have been a failure. So that was all that mattered was could he turn it around and he left Rangers having been unbeaten against Celtic in seven games over two years. Um, completely, you know, four points clear in the semi-final of the League Cup. So there was a lot still to play for. And I think if he'd have got to the end of the season, won the league again, got Rangers into the Champions League, uh, maybe won a double or a treble, I think that would have then ticked most boxes that you could tick. So I think there's just a feeling of sort of unfinished business. I think that's a frustrating thing for Rangers fans, but um, for Villa fans, I think they've got a really good um, coaching team there. It's not just Gerard, but Gerard is obviously a huge part of it, but I think the whole team there um, has the potential to do a really good job at Villa. 
Yeah, the villa have taken everyone, haven't they? I was half expecting the tea lady from Rangers to make the trip <laughs> over to, to the Midlands as well. Just want to talk about last season a little bit. Were, were the signs there? Because I read your pieces. It was that last dance mentality from last season, as Connor Goldson put it. Would, would that be fair to say that, you know, calling last season the last dance, that the signs were there that maybe it was going to start breaking up this time round? Well, I mean, like when you go a full season unbeaten and it is basically either you either win it this year or like that's the end of that tenure because that's basically you know if Celtic won 10 in a row and Rangers had gone three years without winning a trophy then it, there was no other option really for us yeah. know, I think Gerard even said listen it's not worked but um, it did work and it was you know <laughs> 25 points absolutely um, unanimous it was it was unbelievable um, but I think there is a certain degree of the strange sort of type of season it was with behind closed doors, you know, it was a bit surreal, you know, teams were just like, could not even lay a glove on Rangers at all, you know, 13 goals conceded, it felt everything was just perfect and I think the players put so much into it, there was such like a, a camaraderie in the squad and the real sort of obsessive drive with winning that, that I think it's only natural isn't it? if there's going to be a, com- they're never going to go the, the season unbeaten and get that same points total again, that's only natural. Um, and I think it's only natural that games are going to be harder with fans back in, the pressure that comes with at Rangers and the away fans and how difficult it is. So I think the last dance mentality, you know, I think that was a good thing in the sense that it drove them on last season, but then there probably is that natural um, drop-off. I don't think it's a, an intentional thing. I think it's just human nature, really. But I think you'd seen signs that Rangers were getting back on track. You know, if they win 2 nil against Spart- Sparta Prague, that's them into the knockouts again. The two best league performances came um, Gerard's last two games there, so there were still four points clear in the league, so as much as like, it wasn't the same as last season, they were still in a good position, so um, don't want to over-egg too much to drop off because we're still winning, so at the back, Gerard still to go over the line this season. Um, I just don't think it would have been done in the same style, but you know, if a team has got that winning mentality for last season, I think you could still see see that in, uh, overall. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about the, the big group of staff that he's bringing with him, especially Michael Beale, who's been quite a key figure with Gerard at Rangers. No, yeah, he definitely has. Um, I mean, Gary McAllister's, he's number two. Um, but I think they've both, I think him and Beale have been given the title of assistant head coach. I think McAllister's more of a sort of man manager, the sort of conduit between the players and the staff. Um, I think he's really a really well-liked member of the staff. But, you know, if Gerard's the leader and the guy who sets the standard and he's got that aura but I think he also is self-aware enough not to think that just because I'm Stephen Gerrard that I could go straight into management and I would be guaranteed to make a success that's why I obviously went back to Liverpool to start to start with to try and um, learn his trade as a coach but I think he was always you know had that thirst to be under pressure at a big club um, it doesn't get much bigger than coming into Rangers where you've got to try and topple Celtic before they get 10 in a row so I think he identified that he needed somebody to compliment him and that's where Beal comes in because you know, I don't I think it's this is where he's the brains behind the operation, but that's how people sometimes refer to it to how much influence he's got on the training pitch. Whereas Ger- Gerard is quite happy for him to take the lead role in sessions and Gerard will be an observer and he'll step in at times. Um if he sees something or if there's a tempo needing lifted or people need put in line or whatever. But I think Beale is the, the one who's respected as having been a coach for you know, over 20 years now um, and worked at every level. I think at Chelsea, Liverpool, wherever he's gone, everybody sort of respects him as one of the sort of best English coaches around. So I think you can see his influence um, at Rangers and that's what uh, 
he'll bring to Villa. I think, you know, even during games, you see the amount of times that the two of them spend talking. Um, I think Gerard holds his opinion in high regard. So um, I think that's where he comes in. Tom Culshaw, the defence set-piece coach. Um, although they did have an issue this season with conceding for set-pieces, so maybe having Austin McPhee can both um, have a competition uh, as to who's the better set-piece coach. But um, there's him and then there's... There's Jordan Milsom, um, who is the head of performance. Again, these are all guys with Liverpool connection. Um, and again, he's another guy who's really high, high, highly regarded. I think people say he's just, like, you know, pretty obsessed with the detail, like no stones left unturned. No matter who you speak to, there's no really seen in, like, a sort of weak link. They all seem to fill a box. And I think, you know, Gerard has been smart enough to build that team around him, um, people that he trusts. So there are some staff he's left behind at Rangers. <laughs> there's, a, you know, the doctor, Doc Waller for Liverpool, he's there. There's still two fitness coaches, there's a goalkeeping coach, there's another couple of analysts. So there is still the, Tremaine Defoe is still there. So um, there is still a, a, a party, a, a coaching staff there that will need complimented. But um, I think in those, in those six people that he's brought, he's brought his core team with him. Um, so I think he'll be happy with that because they will move as a team until maybe Beal goes out on his own at one point because I know he had opportunities to do that already the last couple of years um, and he's, he's decided to move with, with Gerard, which will have been a difficult decision because, you know, I think I don't think those offers will dry up anytime soon. I mean, the coaching stuff's fascinating. I think that's one of the things the Villa fans are most excited about is that you've kind of got Gerard as this figurehead, this, this legend of the game and young manager, very, very exciting. Gary McAllister's been at Villa before as an assistant manager for a year under Julio. And then it is Michael Beale that, that everyone's really, really excited about someone with such a high reputation. Would Ryan just quite have liked him to have taken the job? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it was ever realistic at this point, to be honest. Um, I think... You know, I think he spoke before he took the Rangers job. He did it in coach's voice, where he said like he wanted to be a coach, wanted to be a number one, maybe when he think he turned forty. But I think he revised that um, time scale, timetable, um, and I think he feels a bit of loyalty to Gerard to move to make one more move. Um, but I think one day maybe if there's a return open to become Rangers manager, um, I think he would definitely take it. I just think the timing's probably difficult. Um, but there was this sort of the parallels to when Walter Smith took over for Graham Souness when he, he left the Liverpool. I think some people were thinking, well, that would be the sort of continuity option because nothing would really change then. Um, but there's obviously the, the difference is that, you know, what Gerard does is not easily easy to replicate because, you know, to a certain degree, you can't coach. There's not many people like Stephen Gerrard and his mentality um, who have got his presence when either in the press or... Um, and a changing room, you know, um, you can you, you can sense it. Do you know what I mean? So um, I don't think that's easy to replicate. But I think the two of them together is a really strong combination. Um, but I, maybe one day I'll be back at, uh, <laughs> at Ibrox as the number one, hopefully. And John, you've you've written before about what it's like to to play for Gerard. So give us a bit of an idea of what changes he may make at Villa and what can fans I guess expect to see from his side get me excited Jordan <laughs> <laughs> well where do you want me to start I think it was like 9,000 words long so, um, I, well I mean Aston Villa are in a better position than what Rangers were in when he came over but don't, I can only tell you what state Rangers were in and how he transformed it and that was for coming in he obviously had a list of demands about the changing rooms the training ground the stadium you know do I say nothing was ever good enough but unless it was top drawer or what he classed as being good enough for Rangers, then um, it wasn't good enough. So um, I think, you know, he basically, you know, completely changed, reconfiguring medical rooms, getting 
new technology in that Milsham wanted, adding an analysis room onto the changing room so that the players would go in back and forth and it became the normal culture to um, have that relationship with analysts. Small things like the dining room, for example, he didn't like the fact that it was big long tables and people were only mixing with each other, so it was like groups of tables where on the first week you said to like go around and speak to everybody. Um, these sort of things that, you know, they become a bit cliche, but they're important to building that sort of culture where he told new signings and they always spoke about it was they don't want any excuses available to the players, so it kind of be, oh, well, we've not got the best this, we've not got the best that. I think him and he sees his team that he's built there. And that's why I think he takes his staff with him because he sees them as creating such a great culture that there's no stone left unturned, whether that's the tactics with Bill, the man management with him, the standards with him, or the fitness with Milsham. I don't think he sees there being any weakness that players can point to. So if there's a drop in performance, then I think he'll call them out on that. So that's for the culture side of things. I think for the football, Aston Villa, um, I don't know what you think the weaknesses have been, but... Um, there's a few yeah <laughs> but but I mean Rangers the thing that you can talk about the domestic um, performances and in Scotland Rangers always dominate the ball so it might not be worth talking about that what I would say is coming to Villa where there are going to be games where a lot of games maybe where Villa don't have the lion's share of possession I think you can point to their record in Europe pretty unbelievable record you know coming through four rounds of qualifying in the Europa League two years in a row then three rounds for the third year four group stages in a row playing Porto off the pitch at times, Benfica, um, Galatasaray, uh, Royal Antwerp, Standard as you could go through all these teams, um, Braga, you know, um, these are good sides that would compare to bottom half Premier League teams at the very least. So I think there's been that sort of snobbery towards Gerard where it's all, well, he's an ex-English player, he's ignorant of tactics and thinks it's about, you know, personality and passion. I, I don't think that, I think if anything, he flies against us perceptions because Rangers are not a team built on individuals, they're a team built on the system. The two games I would point to is the Porto away game and the Braga away game. Like It was almost like clockwork, their defensive shape. So I don't know whether they want to play the exact same shape because I don't think they're, I don't think they're the sort of coaching team that are tied down to a specific thing. But I think they'll probably look to, it won't be far off, the 4-3-2-1 that they used. Um, and at times it looked like Teams just did not know how to how to get around it. Um, I think that's started changing because they played it so often for so long. Um, teams begin to work things out, but um, I think the organisation and the structure was pretty um, was pretty clear there to see that they're a well a well coached team. So um, I think I said in the article about how they how they work on that, which is the sort of human tactics board they call it, which may sound like geeky, but it's essentially just like a living mannequins. Um, and the team will line up, the Sutton Northern will line up and they'll move as a unit from side to side and um, everybody knows their role inside out. They don't, it barely looks like they ever need to actually speak to each other to know where they've got to be in the park. And it's not just a defensive system, it's I think Rangers and Beale spoken before about the fact that um, they defend how they want to attack. So playing that formation, they leave three players up. This is not like, you know, white wingers playing as full backs and you'll know able to get out. Villa, Villa won't lack a... Um, won't lack pace and attack. So I, th I think you look at the Villa squad and you, you look at the, the way they set up the Rangers and I could easily say that, you know, I could imagine Buendia really coming into his own in this system. So I know I think I think it's easily, I think they probably looked at the squad and thought that they can come in mid-season and um, they can put those foundations in place and the players will really um, react to it. Man management wise, I think um, he's no nonsense. Um, but, I don't think he's, I think he always spoke about 
you know, he found Rafa Benitez cold. Um, he found that difficult to take. He always preferred the warm, warm type of manager. So I think he's somewhere in between. I think he can, people like Ryan Jack, like I said that in the article, you know, he didn't really hide his, <laughs> his love of Ryan Jack, but I think everybody knew that. And I did a piece on him because he'd been out injured for like eight months. And people said, like, he would, he will love him back because he just sees himself in him with that drive, like, best trainer every day, um, setting the standards. That's something he always talks about, setting standards, like, He's really big on that, which I, su- I suppose isn't a surprise given what he was like as a player. Um, so I think that's what you see. He'll bring a he'll, he'll bring a mentality change, I think, to Aston Villa. And that's the biggest thing, and I think people take the lead off him. Well, you got me excited, so you filled the brief that I wanted <laughs> you to fill, Jordan. And thanks ever so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. No, don't worry, then. Cheers, mate. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast and in a moment we'll be joined by James Pearce to talk about Liverpool Sporting Director Michael Edwards' exit and where Gerard fits into the ever-changing big picture at Anfield. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Listeners, we've got a very small favor to ask. We want to make sure we're making the very best football podcasts out there. So we need to know what you like and what we can do better. We've prepared a survey over at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk and if you complete it, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping vouchers. Now we're only after the feedback from UK listeners at this stage and you can only win those Amazon shopping vouchers if you live in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So if that applies to you, then please head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk Thanks. Gerard. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! Wonderful! James, thanks so much for joining us. And we've, we've just chatted to Jordan about Gerard the man, his backroom staff, and, and what he's going to bring to Villa. And, and I suppose we can't really talk about. Gerard without talking about Liverpool and I suppose many people probably thought he was going to stay at Rangers until that opportunity came along. Tell us a little bit about the reaction to his appointment at Villa. Yeah I think a lot of Liverpool fans are absolutely intrigued by it in terms of um, you know, I think it's a really interesting next step for him and, and I think it, it just feels to me like you know, a, a fantastic opportunity. You know, we Everyone knows that Steven Gerrard's ultimate dream is to manage Liverpool but you know, he was very clear from the outset that he knew that there was a pathway to to making that happen. And I think he's been very careful all the way along in terms of making his career choices. You know, he could have started off in 
you know, League One or League Two with the amount of offers he had. Yet, you know, he started in the academy ranks at Liverpool. You know, then he took the plunge up at Rangers. You know, I think he did a, you know an amazing job there, transforming them into you know champions again and going that season unbeaten. But I, th- I think there just always would have been. You know, I think if he'd stayed at Rangers. And then maybe the Liverpool job had come up in 2024, which is when we expect it to come up at the end of Klopp's contract. I just think there always would have been that nagging doubt of, you know, no matter what he did in Scotland between now and then, you know, that whether you know whether some people like it or not, it is only Scottish football. You know, it is still a big step up into a much more competitive environment in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I think. I think there's a lot of intrigue um, and excitement to see how he gets on. I think you immediately look at Villa's fixtures now and you think you, know, you want to see you know, Gerrard against Benitez. You want to see Gerrard against Rodgers. You want to see Gerrard against Klopp in a, a few weeks. I know Liverpool fans who you know, now there's an absolute clamour to get tickets for that game at Anfield against Villa on December the 11th. You know, usually you know, Villa at home wouldn't be one of the standout fixtures, but it is now. So, um, yeah, a huge amount of interest at Liverpool fans and they'll be watching his progress closely. Do you think he could have stayed at Rangers and realistically in a few years, let's say he won a couple more league titles, do you think that would have been enough to get the Liverpool job there? I mean, I don't even want to talk about this because obviously my plan is that he might stay at Villa for a long, a long, long time before he leaves to go to Liverpool one day. But do you think you know, that would have been enough to get the Liverpool job or do you think he, he needed a Premier League job? I, I think he needed a Premier League job, yeah. I think um, I, I just think there would have been that kind of like nagging feeling of well you know as as much as you know as the great job he's done there you know w- w- you know it, it is just different in you know it's a it's a different environment south of the border with you know just you know how competitive the premier league is you know the you know the, the greater resources he's obviously going to have at his disposal at, at a big club like villa um so this for me feels like you know the the perfect progression for him and, you know, the, the the fantastic staff that he's surrounded himself with. And I know, you know, I'm sure Dan, you, you're the same in terms of heard from and spoken to various Villa fans, you know, obviously maybe don't, don't like the idea of it, you know, being described as a stepping stone. And of course, yeah. you, you ne- never, ever will you hear Steven Gerrard use those words. Um, he would say that's massively disrespectful to Aston Villa and his only focus is on Villa. And I believe that, um, but, you know, the reality is if he is going to succeed Jurgen Klopp, then he's going to have to do a fantastic job for Villa. So which, you know, and we're also we're talking about summer of 2024 and there's so much short termism in football these days. You know, there aren't many managers who stay in one place for, for three years anyway. So if if and it is still a big if Steven Gerrard is the next Liverpool manager, then you know, Villa are going to have, have benefited massively from from his achievements between now and then. Yeah, could do with him putting his sabbatical off a little bit, Jurgen Klopp. I feel like that, 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 that's, that's a little bit too, too soon. You know, every, every Villa fan will know that he one day wants to manage Liverpool. It was the same when John Terry was coach. You know, if Chelsea had come calling for him to be coach, he'd have gone off to Chelsea. You know, his loyalty is with Liverpool. His, his love is with Liverpool. But he will be fully focused on, on Villa. And I just, just wonder whether Klopp, now we've got Michael Edwards who's, who's departed. Maybe Klopp might put that sabbatical off a little bit. Do you know what? I'm not sure. I think, um, you know, I, everyone I speak to about Klopp's future seems pretty convinced that he's, you know, he's pretty determined at the moment that that summer of 2024, he, he will take a break. I think, first of all, he's very respectful of contracts. And, uh, and, and, and secondly, he doesn't want to be one of those managers who's managing deep into kind of his 60s and, and even older than that. I think he's made that promise to his family that... 
at, at various points. He will he will take a break. He will slow down. Um, so yeah, whenever it's come up in conversation since, and of course, you know, when Liverpool signed a raft of, of, of new contract extensions for key players back in the summer, it became a talking point then because suddenly you're in a situation where you've got, you know, a lot of players who are now committed for longer period than, than the manager is. But, um, the, the reality is if Klopp wanted to stay longer, then the owner's FSG would, you know, almost let him write his own contract. You know, that's, that's the reality. And, you know, who knows, he might... He might have a change of heart between now and then, but at the moment, all signs point to to Klopp stepping down in the the summer of twenty twenty four. Which, um, and I think, I, I just think, you know, we obviously we always look ahead and try to have the crystal ball where football is concerned. But we all know that football changes so fast, and you know, it's, it's someone who's the flavour of month now may well not be the case in six, twelve, eighteen months further down the line. And um, you know, I, I do think when the discussions about Klopp's potential successor happen you know I, I don't think people should underestimate the, the respect that the owners have for, for Pep Linders who's Klopp's assistant at the moment you know he he may not have you know much experience as being a number one anywhere but in terms of footballing knowledge and expertise and you know he Klopp essentially gives him absolute 100% responsibility for the coaching program designing it implementing it you know he has wide-ranging responsibilities already and and the owners are, are massive fans of his so I think you know that's another intriguing aspect to it yeah you can say why Klopp might need a break because Dortmund and Liverpool are two of the most consuming clubs all consuming that that I think you could work for there has been a departure at Liverpool so Michael Edwards the sporting director is making his exit at the end of the season that a surprise to to people? And that, that's it's, it's a massive loss. I mean, I, I read the piece on everything he's done there. He's done an incredible amount, and he does kind of fly under the radar a little bit. It's a huge loss for Liverpool, but was it expected, James? Well, I'd, I'd say probably the, the news last week, the confirmation from the club was expected because um, you know David Ornstein from the Athletic broke broke the story back in August that that Michael Edwards had decided that he felt the time was right to take a step back and embark on a on a fresh challenge. So yeah, I'd, I'd say certainly at the time there was a degree of surprise just because you know he he'd done just a fan, such a fantastic job for Liverpool and was being you know lauded with praise that you, you just thought well also you know where where do you really go from Liverpool it's you know it's you know he's at he's he's at the pinnacle almost in terms of you know iconic sporting institutions but but again I think you know the more the more you listen to other people and the more you kind of read what Michael Edwards put himself in his open letter to supporters last week you you kind of appreciate well actually you know he has been at the club 10 years and you know it, it is you know it, you know in the same way as for Klopp it is you know all, um all consuming I'm sure it's the same when you're the sporting director of the club at Liverpool where you know you, you never ever have you know get to switch off you know his Michael Edwards his role was you know people obviously focus on the transfers and the ins and the outs but his job was you know way way bigger than that in terms of overseeing all the departments from academy to medical to sports science so you know right down to the design of the new 50 million pound training complex so um yeah it will be a loss um it's you know I, I think I think you only you only have to look at not not really so much as you know, as, as much as people focus on the deals he did in terms of, you know, Virgil van Dijk and Alisson, arguably the two most transformative signings in, in the Premier League era for Liverpool, but also, you know, he was a very shrewd negotiator when it came to sales. When you look at, you know, for a start, those two players were effectively paid for with the proceeds of Coutinho to Barcelona for £142 million. And you think, you know, how crazy does that sum of money seem now? And 
you know, when you look at the figures he got for people like Dom Solanke and Jordan Ibe and, and Brad Smith and people like yeah. that and Kevin Apple, Stewart. Apple almost and, pants down a few times. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then in terms of incomings, you know, he was very much integral to the signing of Mo Salah, you know, at a time where Klopp would hold his hands up and say, he, you know, he really fancied bringing in Julian Brandt from Leverkusen. You know, Edwards was, you know, really banged the drum in terms of Mo Salah. Same with Andy Robertson. You know, a lot of people when Liverpool signed Andy Robertson were like, you know, why would you take a left back off a team that's just been relegated from the Premier League? And you look at Robertson and, and you know, what the job he's done since. So, um, so yeah, I think I think it helps Liverpool, though, the fact that it is very amicable. I think, you know, obviously, whenever anyone major leaves, you always think, oh, well, hang on a minute. You know, is there something going on there behind the scenes? And But I think... You know, the fact that there's this gradual handover of powers and that, you know, he's actually played a big part in kind of identifying and preparing Julian Ward to take over as his successor, which I think, you know, says a lot in terms of the fact that relations are still very cordial and that. I think I think that gives Liverpool a lot of heart, certainly the people I've spoken to in terms of that that tra- transition will be smooth. And, and also, I think, you know, you've got to remember that, you know, Michael Edwards was the kind of, you know the head, the head guy, but the the structure that Liverpool have created that's proved so effective. You know that structure won't change. That is that will remain in place. You know with Barry Hunter and Dave Fallows on the recruitment side, Ian Graham, you know the director of research, um, and you know David Woodfine on the you know the loan side of things, and of course Alex Inglethorpe at the academy. So all these major figures who have have also played their big part. You know that they're, they're still they're still there, and I and I think that probably. It probably fuels the belief that you can you can replace Michael Edwards with Julian Ward and um and and Liverpool won't be kind of too adversely affected, hopefully. I mean tell us a little bit about his successor as well, Julian Ward, who has been at the club but playing a slightly different role to what this new job will will entail. Yeah, um I think he's he's forty years old, Julian Ward and you know again similar to to, similar to Michael Edwards, you know, doesn't really have any kind of like public profile. I think he's the kind of guy that you know most Liverpool fans could walk past in a street and not not realise who he was. You know, that's the way he likes it. He's from the Edwards mould, really, in terms of wanting actions to speak louder than words. You know, to he's more than happy to kind of go under the radar. Um, but he's got, you know, he's he's really worked his way up. When you when you you know he was uh, he's from the Aintree area, of Liverpool originally. Um, and you know he went off and and, and studied and, and played semi-professional for Morecambe and had a couple of stints in Northern Ireland, um, playing for Larn FC over there. And um, to go from that to you know he moved into being an analyst essentially, um, and then you know from 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 there he had his big break when Carlos Queiroz was was Portugal manager. They had a mutual acquaintance, and he wanted him to come and work on the analysis side at the. At the World Cup, I think it was in in 2010, and and that kind of was like kind of the first big step for him. And then from there, you know, he worked for Man City on as a South American scout, and then Liverpool brought him in. Um, after they brought in Dave Fallows and Barry Hunter from Man City in in 2012, and you know he was responsible for the the Spanish and Portuguese scouting regions for Liverpool for a few years, and then they they set up this new role of uh, loan loan manager and and pathways partnerships, which I think, you know, Liverpool thought, well, hang on a minute, you know, we, it, this is really important that we get it right in terms of rather than just farming kids out that need game time, you want to, 
you know you want to put a lot of work into ensuring that you get the the right loan for the right player and that also they have the right support while they're away from Liverpool and I think um, that massively enhanced his profile and his credentials inside the club because you know I think you only have to look at you know you've you've got players like Reese Williams who obviously went out on loan and then came back and played a lot of football in the first team last season say with Nat Phillips when Liverpool had that defensive crisis um, and then you look at some of the sales people like Harry Wilson uh, Marco Gruwich people like that who went out on loan and that loan you know that that player may not have you know didn't didn't go on to have a future in the first team but what that loan did was really you know help showcase his potential and enable the club to get sizable transfer fees for them so um yeah, I think it was coming up to a year ago when you know we we broke the story on the Athletic that he'd been promoted um, internally from from this loan manager role to assistant sporting director, um, and you know at the time senior figures were kind of saying we well, don't don't burden him with you know the fact that don't label him Edwards as a successor because for a start you know we still hope that Michael Edwards will be here for years to come, but I think obviously Edwards decided not to sign a new contract. Coupled with the fact that you know Julian Ward has, as you know, he's played a bigger and bigger part in contract negotiations in you know the 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 transfer of Ibrahima Kanate this summer from Leipzig, uh, various sales as well. So it, it has been you know it's it's been a, an amazing rise for him from where he was six seven years ago. But it's also been a gradual process. This isn't this isn't just like a guy suddenly being thrown into one of the biggest jobs in world football. You know, um, FSG, the owners, looked looked far and wide and they decided the best candidate for the job was was right under their nose. It's very boot room-esque, isn't it? That, that promoting from, from within. I, I, I quite like it. I think, I think it shows, you know, good development for people outside of the, the playing staff and, and the coaching staff. I, I, I really like that. Let's circle back then, James, to, to Steven Gerrard and just talk a little bit about, you know, him getting the job at Villa and his relationship with ex-Liverpool man Christian Perslow. Oli Kay has done a piece in The Athletic on their unlikely alliance. What did you make of that? Yeah, I thought it was a, a brilliant piece by Oli. I think, um, you know, it did, it kind of did lay bare the fact that, you know, that that was undoubtedly an important factor in, in this, this move happening, I think, um, you know, I, I think back to when I was covering Liverpool at the t- that time, and yeah, it was it was a very kind of dysfunctional period in the club's history in terms of you know the the war in factions in the boardroom and you know just you know the the financial issues that were dogging the club and owners that didn't even speak to each other, um, and Christian Perslow, yeah, was you know he he did try and form those close bonds with senior players in particular, you know, Steven Gerrard and Jamie Carragher at the time, so I think. That's why I think when this job became available, when obviously when Dean Smith left, it it, it just you, you thought well that that's another factor here that's that is going to make it happen. And I think I think also would have been a big attraction for Steven Gerrard the fact he he had that close relationship already with the the guy at the top at Villa. He knew believed in him, um, and, and I think he knows he'll get that unwavering support from him going forward. Of course, he'll have to he'll have to reward that show of faith from Perslow with with results but um but yeah I think you know that that all I'm sure that did did, did play a part in, in convincing Steven Gerrard that this was the the right move for him that you know he, he already had that personal relationship. So James where does Gerrard fit into all of this because if Klopp is to 
go and have a sabbatical, surely it's a pretty big job to come into straight away for 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 someone like Gerard, who you'd think maybe needs another sort of big job under his belt before he follows in the shoes and footsteps of someone who has achieved so much at Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think at, at the moment it's 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 too soon to say exactly where he fits in. I think I I, I think he could do enough great work at Villa between now and the summer of 2024 to to leave the the vast majority of Liverpool fans firmly in the belief that he's ready. I don't I don't think I don't think he needs another stepping stone after Villa. Villa are a huge club. You look at the the history and the tradition, the stadium, the fan base. You know they're 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 punching well below their weight when you look at that Premier League table at the moment. I think I think that's another big attraction for him. The fact he knows he's only taking Villa one way. So I think yeah, if he was to get Villa, you know, back into that you know top seven or eight, even you know, I'm sure he will have his sights set on get taking them back into European football in the next season or two. If he does that and 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 they perform well at that level, then then why can't he be the next Liverpool manager? I think. Um, you know, I, I think so much will be dictated by events, by how he does at Villa, by you know, do, does Klopp stick to his guns? Does he does he have another couple of years? You could argue maybe another couple of years further down the line if Klopp does does have a change of heart and stay a bit longer, that Steven Gerrard will be even more ready for it. You know, would twenty twenty four come a bit too soon? I know people looked at the contract length and said, oh well, actually he signed for a year longer than. Than you know, the Liverpool you know would effectively ideally want if you like because of when the, the Liverpool job could come up, but that wouldn't have been part of his thinking because he would know there's no point looking that far ahead. You just can't in football. Steven Gerrard knows that better than anyone. You have to live in the here and now. And I think the big thing for Villa is you know with the way that Gerrard is, he, he's a winner. Like he's a born winner. He he will he only he doesn't do anything half-heartedly. He will commit one hundred percent. He won't have his eye. On, on the Liverpool job, he will he will have his eye on doing the best as he possibly can for Aston Villa, and then you know it, it will it will be a case of let's let's see what happens after that, and and there will be other names in the mix as we said before, you know Pep Linders will be an incredibly strong candidate um, as well, so um, yeah, it it will be determined by by results, it will be determined what by Klopp, Klopp decides himself, um, but one thing's for sure, you know if if Steven Gerrard is going to be the next Liverpool manager, then he will have done, you know, a, a fantastic job for Villa in the time between. Excellent stuff, James. Thanks ever so much to, for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Just before we depart, there's still time to talk about some of the other great writing that's up on the Athletic right now, Flo. So we'll we'll do a piece each. What have you been liking? Yeah, there's a really good one actually from Tom Wervel, now departed to RB Leipzig, but former, I think... I still find that absolutely crazy. Bizarre, isn't it? Um, unbelievable. He was, what, head of the king of data at The Athletic and a really good piece um, called What Age Do Players in Different Positions Peak? And it's a really nice piece looking at sort of how players progress, looking at their age and how you can really see what is a player's peak age, kind of using all that great data that Tom always puts in his pieces and kind of reflecting on when might be a player's optimum age. Really, really interesting piece. Yeah, sounds really, really good. I haven't read that one yet, but I'll make sure I do. I've been reading up on Norwich, actually. 
this week with a Dean Smith. I'd Have a look at your relegation rivals, is it, Dan? No, 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 Fla. No, 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 Fla. <laughs> we won't talk about relegation. We're going to win the league after what we've just spoke about with with Steve and Gerard. Michael Bailey's been writing about, oh, maybe I've been a little bit naive about Norwich. Obviously, Dean Smith's taking that job, so I wanted to have a look at, at what's going to happen there. The squad's actually a lot better than I thought it was, and they've spent a lot more money mm. than I thought they had. So it's kind of comparing the last time they were in the Premier League, their squad, to now. And I probably thought they were quite similar to last time they were in the Premier League, but if you actually read this article, they're not at all. So yeah, that's, that's worth a read if you're interested in looking at the job Dean Smith's got on his hands. And a final reminder as well that you can read those articles that Jordan and James have been talking about and so much more by subscribing to The Athletic today for just £3.33 a month. Just head to The Athletic, sorry, just head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. That does us for today. So thanks to our two fantastic guests for their contributions. And of course, thanks to all you guys for listening and to Flo, who I nearly forgot to thank. <laughs> get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you do get your podcasts, if you're enjoying the show, then please leave us a review too. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater will be back with another episode tomorrow. So we hope you'll join us again. The Athletic. <laughs>